Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Twilight Tonic, something close to my heart. And I have to say, growing up, I was really lucky. But I'm really lucky tonight, too, because I have somebody that I'm really going to enjoy interviewing tonight. His name is Christopher Penzik. He is a modern witch, and he's working with the Temple of Witchcraft. That is his passion, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. And he is also an amazing author, over 20 books. Welcome, Christopher. How are you tonight? Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. I am happy that you're here. And I have to say, I love your meditations as well. They're on MP3s, by the way, and you can order them on his site. So if you're really into meditation like I am, they're pretty awesome, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, actually, meditation is such a a foundation for all that I do, and um, I'm glad that I can uh, provide those for folks. It's kind of funny. My degree is in voice. I have a a Bachelor of Music, and, you know, I I would uh, be taking all that training. My parents were very supportive of that process, and now I've used all those skills and things to do meditation. So do the background music and, you know, recording things and everything. So people, you know, often are like, oh, where'd you learn to speak that way? I'm like, opera lessons. (laughs) (laughs) That's Awesome. I, I love opera. I, I am can never sing. So opera is like really beautiful. I really love it, especially in Italian. Yes, that Italian was my favorite. Absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Christopher, your passion is the temple, the temple of witchcraft. A lot of people when they hear witchcraft, at least now it's getting better in the 90s and in the 80s. It wasn't so cool. Very true. <laughs> you know, when you told someone you were pagan or you were into witchcraft, you know, they visualize something completely different than what we have now, which I think because of social media and because of TV, it's looked upon in a different light. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the 90s was really the first kind of awakening to it. Like I had started my training before there was, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the craft movie and all that. And that right. sort of opened a door, whether you liked it or hated it, it sort of opened the conversation. Yeah. And I think things have just been kind of widening since then. So, um, you know, you can reference those things of, the, you know, from the 90s and onward and, you know, be able to have conversations with people if they're like, oh, is it like this movie? I'm like, well, sort of, not quite, but that gives us a place to start talking. Yes, exactly. So out of curiosity, did you just wake up one day and go, I'm going to build a temple of witchcraft? <laughs> Actually, much like witchcraft itself, I kind of got there <laughs> kicking and screaming. Yeah, it was not, not a vision I originally had. <laughs> I think I think doing this, I don't know about you and how you feel about this. I think it's one of the hardest things growing up that I had. Mm. And it was the one of the most accepting things. 
that yeah, I had I came, as well. I came to it later. Like I actually came to witchcraft as a skeptic. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, coming into it, I, I really had to to be shown the validity of it because I, I knew being raised Catholic, you know, I believed in something. And I guess I'd be agnostic by the time I got out of the Catholic school. And uh, my first teacher in witchcraft, you know, knew me from growing up. She was actually my art teacher growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, she sort of shared with me her practices and beliefs. And she finally kind of um, got to the point where she used the W word, as we'd said later on, the witch word. And uh, mm -hmm. I just thought it was crazy, you know, and so I had to sort of be brought into it. And in working with uh, the temple, you know, I think likewise, I thought oh, I'm just going to teach some classes. I'm writing some books. I'm part of a coven. You know, that's that's where it's at for me. Mm -hmm. um, but the books and the teachings and the people I was working with really started to expand into a community. And so I really wanted to see the community be in a way that was ethical um, and could outlast any one generation. Because going back to the 90s and, and 80s as well, um, you know, all the places where I learned and practiced are gone now. Yeah. You know, all the, in, the quote, institutions that we had in community, they last maybe the life of one person, if that. Yeah. And if they pass and they pass it on to their family, their family's usually not interested or they sell a house, like all the the witch houses that I used to remember that we go for, for covens. And even my mom used to host Sabbaths. And, you know, when she passed, we no longer right. did things at her house. So, you know, there's not a lot of resources for people that last one gener more than one generation. And if we're this whole tradition that's about the land and building a relationship with spirit of place and all that, there's, there's no place to kind of be anchored. So I really wanted to see things like that last and see libraries last and see covensteads last and see outdoor shrines and sanctuaries and circles that are built last. So uh, we slowly started putting together what would be the Temple of Witchcraft. And I, I never would have guessed in a million years that it would be like a nonprofit. Technically, we're a church in the eyes of the government. Oh, good. Um, and, and, and we sort of resisted that because, you know, you think, particularly growing up Catholic, like you don't want to be a church, but if you don't have that legal definition, then people like a lot of the religious protections we have, you mm -hmm. have to be associated with something because if you're not, then it's a much harder fight. So if you lose yes. your job because you're a witch or you're afraid your kids are going to take away in a divorce because you're a witch, you know, you need to have that legal connection to something that's established to make that be easier. So we did that just to make the community feel safer. And, you know, that's so important because, Oh my goodness, you hear now I'm in Indiana, so you can only imagine. <laughs> Been taught many times in Indiana, I can totally imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my I'm originally from Ohio. That's a little better. Mm -hmm. But Indiana when I moved here was very difficult about seven years ago. Yeah. I had no, no I felt misplaced metaphysically, psychically, and in the craft itself. It is hard to find community, you know, particularly in, it, it's better now, I think, because of social media, but who you find on social media is not always physically near you. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah, exactly. So today, today times, how do you see the craft changing and evolving in a positive light? Hmm. Um, that's a great question because it has changed so much, even in the, yeah. you know, what is it now? 30 years I've been in it, you know, it's changed a lot. And I think um, the beauty of it and also the difficulty of it, because, you know, everything comes with the shadow to it. Um, I love that everything is accessible and it's something I've really strived for over the years and, and to have the information available. I'm also kind of concerned as the craft grows and does become more accessible that um, you can see things and particularly in the social media generations, 
of mm-hmm. people who to forget the hard parts. You know, there's a oh, sense, yeah. and I, I I do believe we have to embrace what works for us. Yes. But sometimes we reject things because they're hard or confrontational, or we don't want to heal. Um, rather than it just doesn't work for us. So I, I think sometimes the lack of mentorship and the lack of groups and things um, can be tough. And I'm afraid that some teachings will get lost, you know. So I'm very happy that so much is more available because I want these tools to be available to anybody who wants them. And I really embrace this idea that um, witchcraft is a journey for a lot of us. And some people mm-hmm. come to it, you know, just to heal and then they leave. And that's okay. Maybe, you know, the teachings can be for everyone, but not sleep the identity of a witch or the call of a witch. Um, and I know right. some people disagree with that greatly, but I, I've had a lot of students and a lot of clients who stayed for a long time and, you know, they, they received the healings that they needed and they experienced things that were very helpful for them. And then they realized, oh, maybe this isn't for me and they moved on. Um, and then the ones who do stay, you know, they really feel like it's a calling and it really calls to right. their soul and, you know, they have some level of service to it. And do you believe there are many deities that people connect with. Um, mine's Bridget. And then for some reason, Freya appears all the time. Mm-hmm. Great ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny because I got my first exotic bird, like flew on my shoulder and I instantly named her Freya. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, what where is this coming from? Cause I'm like a big, big, big Bridget fan. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so there's a message here for me through Freya. Right. But when I talk to a lot of people and they just don't understand how can I identify with goddess or gods, what would be your answer to that if somebody asked you, just a stranger, hey, what do you mean goddess or gods? What do you mean they identify? Right. Yeah, that's that's another great question, too. I think I have a, a very occultist view of things, things like that. And I think coming into it as a skeptic, um, I saw deity and, and kind of goddess with a capital G as more conceptual than literal. And then I had experiences that made it literal, you know, and then um, a lot of my teachers fo- focused. And I know it's not the popular thing right now of like, great creatrix goddess and great creator God and combined there that universal divine mind, great spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a very personal experience with the Irish crow goddess Maka. Um, and that was very visceral and very unbidden and sometimes terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. And I think having that direct experience helped me understand the personal. So I think I would tell people, you know, when you start out, whatever way, you know, for your studies that works for you, if you just conceptualize it as a a way of, of understanding universe or creator or anything, start there. And then, you know, be open to experiences, be open to study. Um, a lot of us intellectualize it, you know, a lot in the beginning. And that's okay, because that's a way to enter it. Um, I was talking to a priestess in the Temple of Witchcraft, and, and we have very different backgrounds. And um, she is just a lovely, devoted priestess. She's got that, like, yogic, she's not a yogic practitioner, but I would call it the yogic background of bhakti. She's really into Mm -hmm. devotion to the goddess, you know? Um, And I feel like as a priest, I'm a very, um, I don't want to say I'm a lazy priest, but I'm not, I'm not devotional in that way. Like I love the deities I worked with, but I feel like I work with them or I feel like they are my bosses in some things, you know, we we have certain work to do together, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have that really devoted sense that she has. And devotion is another way to come through it. So some people might feel this devotion and come to witchcraft and not know where to place it. Like a lot of us who came from that Catholic background might have that devotion to Mary 
and they have oh, difficulty yes. to kind of translate it to is Mary goddess? Well, what does that mean? And who was I praying to and who am I praying to now? And I, I think um, sometimes approaching it through devotion. And if you have a profound experience with the deity or you feel like, why did I call this bird, you know, by a particular goddess's name, like what's, what's trying to speak to me? You might find <laughs> devotion in that. You might feel kind of kinship and then yeah, just that yeah. that flow of emotion and that flow of love starts to open the gates to you. So I, I think everybody does it a little bit differently. I know I tend to be a little bit intellectual with it, but I think intellectual sides of it can be good until it sort of bats you on the head and, and forces you to have a, an emotional experience with it. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's so funny that you mentioned the Virgin Mary. Um, I was talking to a priest at work not that long ago, and he's from Italy. And um, he goes, why don't you come to church? And I I have nothing against going. I'm not going to change my belief system. Right. You know, sometimes I go to the Catholic Church because my mom loved the Catholic Church, and she celebrated a lot there. So I'll go to celebrate my mother in spirit. And he goes, well, what are you? And I told him, he goes, oh, he goes, that's interesting. He goes, well, how do you feel about Mary? I go, oh, I love Mary. I respect her. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, she's just a woman. I'm like, oh, no, she was not. <laughs> I was like, back it up, buddy. <laughs> not just a woman to me. <laughs> right. Right. And being, you know, raised Catholic with all of the the ceremony that they had in the ritual. That's why I love paganism so much, the ritual mm -hmm. of the goddess Absolutely. and gods. How do you feel about all the rituals? Are they close and dear to your heart as well? Yeah, well, again, like uh, taking that occultist point of view, I see a lot of it as ritual as a form of spiritual technology. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been really interesting for me. So kind of my my outside of running the temple passion right now is I'm taking a, a course on temple building, like literally the geometry and the layout and um, everything from dissecting and the math behind stone circles to cathedrals, to Greek temples, to all of that. And just trying to see the patterns and how they evoke different forms and what's the land that's underneath them. All, all this oh, yeah. good stuff. It's really been an amazing class. It's like a three-year apprenticeship. Um, and so now I've been loving going to Catholic cathedrals and things like that because I'm trying to mm. use these new techniques to sense out like, well, what's in this little shrine and what's in the center of the church? And so particularly the older churches and cathedrals, it's great when you travel just to see, yes. you know, what energies are built into it. And I, I'm more and more of the belief that all these things that we do are a type of spiritual technology. Like if you look at Egyptian temples and their layout, it's not that different from Greek and Roman, mm -hmm. which is not that different from Christian, Catholic, particularly cathedrals. And exactly. they all sort of are based on similar ideas that we sort of lost touch with in the 20th century. Um, but I think, you know, I'm very open to Catholicism in the sense that if it's right for you, it's right for you. I have problems with the politics of the, the institution. Um, but I think in, in terms of the belief system, if that's the belief system that works for you, but I think it's like, here's this technological structure, almost like the, the ritual, whether it's a circle or whether it's a mass is like a container and you're bringing these different things to it and invoking different things to it. So it's like a technology and, and what's your software like? For some people, the software is Jesus and Mary. For some, the software is Bridget and Freya. For some, it might be Shiva and Kali. For others, it might be you know, Zeus and Hera and that type of thing. Or it might not even be a pair of deities. It might be something else. But um, I think it's then figuring out how to interface with that, that space and that time and that intention. Um, but I'm also very big into the art of magic. So I, you know, one of the beautiful things I, I learned from 
my first serious teacher was Lori Cabot, um, mm. and she talked about how everything is the the science, the art, and the religion of witchcraft. Absolutely. So, you know, all these things I'm talking about are like the science of occultism, the science of witchcraft. But there's a great art to the rituals. Like once you know what you're doing, it's like music or dance or you know, theater or, you know, you've honed your craft to a certain level and you can really express yourself and sort of like once you know the rules, you can break the rules and, you know, really kind of apply them in, in more and more creative ways. So I think that art side is really near and dear to my heart, you know, and, and just yeah. I think both the science and the art lead you to the religion. I think leaving Catholicism, I thought oh, I'll never be religious again. And um, I don't think of myself as traditionally religious, but I think art and science lead me to the the wonder and the beauty of everything. And I think that's what makes me religious. That's what makes me spiritual. Absolutely. And this is coming from a woman who danced for 30 years and married a musician. Oh, wow. Yep. So, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's so important. I don't think I've ever been closer to the higher power is when I, when I was a dancer. Yeah, there's something about any art, I think, you know, any type of performance, any type of engagement, like when you're in that zone, it's the same thing when you're in magic. You know, yes. and that's why I think people who have some type of classical training in something from academia to any to in the arts. Uh, and I won't say it's easier for them to study magic, but they I think they understand the pattern a little bit differently than someone who doesn't have that background. Like, you know, it's how it can both be an art, but you also might get a critique from a teacher and you have to be able to take that feedback and incorporate it and then, mm -hmm. you know, bring it out to something new. I think I think that's an important part of the process, too. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny because earlier in my career, I was trained as a ballerina and very, very strict, you know, and my parents, it, it's very expensive. So my parents just didn't have the money. And then when I went on to my other dance profession, I had that background. But when I danced, that energy mm -hmm. that I could pull from the earth and around me and then give it out as healing was amazing. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think witchcraft particularly is very healing. When you think of the rituals that we do, you know, they are, they're not choreographed quite in the same way the ballet is, but there's movement that moves energy, yeah. you know, and I think it, it helps conduct the energy for you. If you're doing ceremony with other people, it helps conduct it for them. And it can be really restoring and healing and revitalizing. You know, I think people are in touch with that are, are in touch with the level of passion and vitality that's otherwise hard to get in touch with. And I think that's why it's such a beautiful craft. Mm. It's not only scientific with herbs and plants, you know, and even kitchen work when you cook food. But even as you said, in the arts, it's just a beautiful form of expression spiritualize. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. So, with everything going on with you, how do you see the craft involving in these times? And how do you well, see it not involving in these times <laughs> as well? That's a very important thing, actually, if you yeah, think about yeah. it. How, where are we going now? Where's Gen X going in this? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not being, you know, Gen X versus all the other generations. That's, you know, definitely where I'm coming from. Um, I think we're having that difficult, my generation, we're having that difficult transition of um, we're not at the cutting edge anymore. No. We're not holding the old line. <laughs> you know, where are we in between that? And uh, I think it's, it's, it's a hard place to be. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what my role is. And so for me, um, it's been trying to create structures and patterns that outlive me. 
Um, yeah. It's been trying to mentor and support and model the things that I'm important that are important. I never thought I would be at the stage of like, oh, you kids get off my lawn type of thing. <laughs> um, but I feel like sometimes I sometimes get that way, you know, and I'm Me just too. like, oh, I, I, I need to just be like, oh, if something's important, don't say it, show it. Yes. You know, and if something means something to you, kind of model it or discuss it with nuance. Um, I do think one of the problems we're having in society in general, let alone witchcraft, but I think it's bleeding into witchcraft, um, is difficulty with complexity and difficulty with nuance. Yes. Um, a little bit of what I was talking about before of like, you know, we're losing some teachings because we don't have the time to really absorb them because we want them to be fast and easy and, and all that. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, we're taking the new generations are taking magic into asking questions about um, gender and culture and mm -hmm. um, politics of the way the world is and questioning why the way the world is, I think is really exciting and really powerful. And I'd like to see what, what witches are going to be a part of that. I think in the new Aeon, you know, witchcraft will have a voice. It might not be a dominant voice, but I think witchcraft has a lot to share with the world. Um, and I think they're the ones having some of those discussions, maybe in different ways than our generation did. So I, I find that very interesting. I think in my opinion, too, we've always been ahead of the mark. Even in yeah. medieval times, we've always been the accepting voices and the yep, healers. For true. Absolutely. And that's why we were killed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yep. like, um, no, you can't do that. And we're going to burn you now. <laughs> <laughs> so... Christopher, out of curiosity, I'm a big animal fan. I don't know if you've noticed. I have like five animals around me any given time. I have two birds mm -hmm. and a cat and two dogs. How are you with familiars? Well, you know, it's a great topic of um, kind of like so much in witchcraft. When you say familiar, you know, even the definition of that has changed. Mm -hmm. So I'd say sort of the Gen X and before definition of it was magical animal companion. Yes. Um, and now you get into it when people talk about familiars, they're talking more about, you know, sabbatic intercessory spirit. And it might take the shape of an animal or it might not, you know. Right. I'd say even back in, in my day, you know, it was more of that totemic animal spirit, animal guide type of thing, too. Um, so at the moment, I have no no animals in my house, nor um, animal familiars uh, in my physical animal familiars in my house because we've <laughs> traveled for so long, um, and we just sort of made a decision it wasn't fair to the pets right. to have to board them a lot Absolutely. and to do all that. And also, our home is open to the public because we live in the Temple of Witchcraft. Um, the ah. residency for the founders is just the second and third floor, and the first floor is the public space. So you also have to can take into consideration, like, you know, you might love cats, but people could be allergic. Or you might love dogs, people could be allergic. Or exactly, people are trying to meditate. Yeah. So it's tough. So I'm, I'm hoping for, you know, when we retire from this physical space and, and have another one, we'll be able to have animals again. Um, and uh, then, you for know. My for my audience, just in case, where is the sure. Temple of Witchcraft so they know? Sure. It's in uh, the other Salem, Salem, New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah so we're about a, an hour north of Boston for people who know that as yep. the major landmark in the area. Um, and not too far from Salem, Massachusetts. We're about maybe a little less than an hour from there. Exactly. Yeah. And then for other familiars, like I'm, I'm very big in animal spirit work. 
um, and really looking at animals and nature as a whole as our teacher. You know, I often I actually wrote a whole book on plant familiars. So working with plant spirits as intercessory allies has been a big thing too. So we've got all the poisonous plants here. We've got all the magical herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so those have been, if I can't have animals, I'll have plants everywhere. <laughs> I don't believe I have them everywhere too. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, people don't realize how important plants are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a key point of my life, my spirituality, my practices, just to, to be in touch with the green. Yeah. And it's so funny because people don't realize trees have a unique communication system. Yeah. They're talking more and more about that. That's kind of amazing. That spreads hundreds and hundreds of miles within the trees. Right. So how, I mean, that is so cool. And I think that's very important. I mean, people are like, let's yeah. just cut down a tree. I'm like, no, <laughs> don't cut down that tree. Then all these other trees will know. And everybody looks at me like I ate an entire bag of gummies <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, like, no, no. Okay. I'm going to go back mm. in the house now and be with my five animals. <laughs> and then, Part of the, the work we're doing here, the temple has about five and a half acres. Um, <gasps> and part of the geometry apprenticeship I've been taking on temple building um, if you look at the map from above, like if you look at the land from above, uh-huh. we're building the temples on the land and the shrines and the circles and things like that in the pattern of the stars of the Pleiades, because the Pleiades open the heart and are very healing and yes. very magical. Um, and funnily enough, the next temple we're building on the next weekend intensive that happens next April Um it's the where the star would fall, like you have to triangulate it and it's mm-hmm. fairly complex, but where the star would fall is this massive pine tree um, right in the center. And we're going to use that as the center of a temple to the Sky Father. So I'm, I'm very excited oh, about that. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a <laughs> sort of been fun, fun journey of it. So I don't know exactly, but teacher hasn't designed the temple yet, but uh, we'll clear the area around it a little bit and do little shrines and things like that. But uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to either be like a planetary sky father or a zodiac sky father type of ritual. That's so, it's just so beautiful, you know, to think about yeah. that. Now, I know you do astrology as well. I do. I have a really weird question for you. I just read there's between 13 and 14th birth signs in astrology. Have you heard that? I have heard that. It's a, it's, I won't say it's a pet peeve of mine, but I will say it's a, um, a different understanding or a sort of a mix up between um, astronomy and astrology. And like, I'm so confused now. I read that. I've been studying it since I've been home with the fracture. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not a Sag. What am I? Oh, come on. <laughs> You're still a Sag. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm like a snake bear. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the idea behind it and different astrologers and, and folks will argue with this. So this is just my take on it. But um, so it gets into the fundamental understanding. In fact, I was talking to somebody at an astrology podcast and, and yeah. he was all upset by this. And I was like, oh, you, this is kind of a foundational thing. But, you know, we're talking about things that get lost in the shuffle and, and social sure. media. Uh, this is one of those things, I think. So um, what people think of as the constellations is what they call the sidereal zodiac. And that's based Mm. on the patterns of stars. But if you look at it, the stars are not in a completely balanced circle around our perception of the earth. And they're not equally spaced out. So some of the constellations are larger or smaller. Mm -hmm. In um, what they call Hindu astrology or Vedic astrology, they've mapped it out in a specific way. And that's how it's used in that system. 
um, what Westerners astrologers use, mo most witches and in, in the America and Europe and such use um, what we call tropical zodiac. And the tropical mm -hmm. zodiac measures the sky around the earth. And it starts at um, zero degrees Aries is where the sun is at on the spring equinox. And then it measures out 30 degree signs, so from zero to 29, 12 times. And it's really based on the seasons. So it's a little bit different than some of our, our Wiccan and witchcraft British folklore. But mm -hmm. from an astrological point of view, when the sun enters a cardinal sign, the season begins, so like Aries. Um, when it enters the fixed sign, which is when we have our fire festivals in, in witchcraft today, um, right. that is the middle of the season. And then when it enters into a mutable sign, that's when the season ends and a new one's going to begin. So it's, you know, a season of spring would be Aries cardinal, Taurus fixed, and Gemini mutable. And then we'd start summer with Cancer and the summer solstice and so on. Um, and there's actually, this is the weird part. And I love teaching about this because it just gets people <laughs> either excited or frightened about it when I teach in person. But um, the Earth's axis, what we rotate on and what points to the North Star, wobbles over about 26,000 years. Yes. So what's the North Star now wasn't the North Star then. And that causes the two zodiacs, the constellations and the space around the Earth. At one time, they were all lined up. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're, they're out of sync and it takes about 26,000 years for them to come back into sync. Gotcha. Um, and, and that creates like when people say the age of Aquarius or the age of Pisces or the, mm -hmm. the big celestial ages. So the tropical zodiac will never change because it's based on 12 and it's based on 30 degrees. Even the sidereal zodiac is based on this set of 12. Some will say the line that, that the, we perceive the planets and signs going through around the earth has cutting across it like Scorpio might not be quite quite in it, but we recognize Scorpio as a, a sign of the Zodiac, as a constellation of the Zodiac. So there's things like a fucus, the serpent bearer, that sort of has a foot in that line. So people will say, oh, we need to readjust everything. We need to draw it for 13. Or they might say there's another one that crosses it, depending on their favorite. You know, they'll say, now we have to do 14 of it, and everybody tries to shift everything. But right. visually, it wouldn't be even. Um, and so the whole system of astrology is is based on 12. You know, it's based on dividing things into pairs, six pairs of two um, or three pairs of four or four pairs of three. So the only way you can get the elements in and the cardinal fixed and mutable in and whether they're masculine or feminine or day and night and um, each one kind of partners up. So each one's the shadow of the other. So if you add 13 or if you add 14 to it, it just messes it all up. Not to say that there's not other astrology systems out there, like um, a thoroughly modern, although people like to think of it as an ancient thing, but a thoroughly modern system of what people sometimes call Celtic astrology or Celtic tree, Oum astrology, mm -hmm. uses 13 signs, but it's a different system. And that works too. Like I've gotten a lot of good information from people who use that, um, but it's important to realize it's not ancient um, and it's a different type of astrology. It's not the 12 sure. based zodiac, right. you know, but, but I think it's fun to look at those things. I mean, I always like to experiment and see what works and what doesn't work. And, huh. you know, I think there's some symbolic view to it, but I think you're still a Sag. I'm still a Taurus. We're still good. I'm like, <laughs> darn, am I going to have to go back to school to be a medical doctor? Cause <laughs> I was like, I can't do all that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting and disturbing to me because apparently, according to that, I had both traits and I didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's hard enough to be a fire sign in this world. 
Yeah, I had a friend who was very much into a fucus as the 13th sign, and uh-huh. she felt that that's what she was, and she was very adamant and had all this evidence for it. I'm like, well, if it works for you, I'm not saying it's not. It's just I know as an astrologer, I couldn't quite read a chart in that that system. So either somebody <laughs> has to create a new way of doing it or, you know, see what happens. I was very disturbed when I read it. I was like, oh, my goodness, am I really like that? Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I always thought it was like the muted, easygoing fire sign. <laughs> apparently not i'm supposed to like be a healer and all that and i'm like i i don't know if i could like live up to that <laughs> it was well, almost safe, don't worry <laughs> i was laughing i called like my friend i was like linza i don't know if i can live up to all this <laughs> and i have such bad traits apparently <laughs> so with all this on top of everything else you also do readings, correct? I do. Yep. Not too often, but I do. I usually see people who are um, in our school, sure. are kind of my primary focus, but I do see some clients and occasionally you'll see me do things for the charity groups or um, do a psychic fair or something like that. But I do, I often see, I'll, I'll take readings often when um, someone's coming to me for healing work. So I tend to have that focus, but I, I still do readings in tarot and astrology. Sure. You know, it's so interesting from what the research I did on you, you saw your aunt when you were a child. Is that correct? That is correct. That, that was one of my first, like, I think growing up before I knew I was a witch or, or found witchcraft, you know, mm-hmm. as a tradition, I had a lot of weird stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of filed them all away as, you know, or I talked to people about it in my family and they'd be like, oh, that's crazy. That's not real. You have imagination. You're overactive, you know. Um, but yeah, I was in high school and my great aunt Mary passed away and she was probably other than my mom, the person I was closest to and just a mm. great companion and confidant and very supportive of everything. Um, and looking back on it today, I now realize it was a form of black mirror scrying. So, you know, here I am in New England and it was in January as the middle of the winter and just back from Christmas break. Um, and by the time I got into school and homeroom and school, it's dark out still. So just kind of catching the reflected light off the dark window because there's no sun in the prison yet. Um, And I saw the kind of reflections morph into her face and telling me that she was okay and everything was okay. and um, Just was very encouraging words like she was in life. And I could see why my family would think, oh, that was, you know, maybe an overactive imagination or seeing what I wanted. But now that I know the techniques of occultism, I know, oh, you know, liminal space, kind of time before you're starting, kind of spacey in the morning, dark mirror, you know, bright light behind you. Um, it was all the classic things of, of scrying in the mirror. So um, I do think that kind of came and it was just such a visceral experience and it stuck with me to this day. Um, I think it was one of the gates that sort of opened up magic to me. And once I got into it, I was like, oh, that's what happened. Like now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand completely. Like that is so, it's almost like it opens doors into your heart. Absolutely. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. I know. Like, you know, it's really weird. There is on my dad's side, there is this great aunt that I never met. Probably like, oh my gosh, it was before my dad was even born. It was when my grandmother was alive. And I'm Gen X, so you can imagine. That was a long mm-hmm. time ago. <laughs> and there was one aunt 
And this particular woman I have a connection with in Arkansas of all places, because I'm Native American, Indian, and French. And she was a little tiny lady with a little bun, and they called her a witch when she was, that's what she did. She lived in the middle of nowhere. Her husband died, and she did mediumship. And they would pay her with compacts. Mm -hmm. So according to my grandmother, when she visited this lady, she had all these little compacts, like probably 50 of them apparently, in front of her vanity. And she had dinner with her, her and her, her husband at the time. And she said, the weirdest thing is, she said, you'll never last. You're too much alike. You had too many lifetimes together. And then next thing she knew, she was, you guys want some honey with your breakfast? And my grandmother said, oh, yes. And she went outside and climbed up a tree and got honey. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, until this day, that is the most mysterious story in my family. Wow. Yeah. That's, that is the magic. Yeah. And I'm like, no wonder I'm so interested in this stuff and the beauty of it and what you just said about your aunt and how gorgeous that was. You. Yeah, I think, you know, things touch us in ways and we remember when it's time, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just so unique. So in your life's work, what would you like to see? Well, I think for me, it's always been about both the preservation of magical traditions and the forward progression of magical traditions. So, um, I would, I love and would like to create more resources for things from the past to be not just preserved, but worked with. Um, so a big part of our temple has been the veneration of the beloved and the mighty dead. Um, and so we do a lot of work with the ancestors of the modern era, you know, figures like Gerald Gardner yeah. and Doreen Valente and some less f- famous ones all the way back through history and, and different cunning men and women that were persecuted, whether they were witches or not, the witches of Salem Mass, whether they were, you know, probably not witches, but to remember their names and to work with them and venerate them magically in ritual and meditation. Mm. Um, and that's just one of the ways, but just like, you know, uh, eventually I'd like to see a, a pretty good library from both my personal library collection and um, others in the community get preserved as a resource for the community. Um, But then I also want to see the progression of magic. So I feel like a lot of my work has been taking the things that my teachers have shared with me and trying to create something cohesive and trying to create something that interconnects. And um, I think a lot of us, particularly of our generation, um, we'd get, you know, wonderful bits and pieces, but the bits and pieces didn't always make sense together. And either you had to accept that they were parts of disparate systems or you sort of had to create a a paradigm for them for yourself. Um, And it can be tough to practice in community that way because everybody's got a a different paradigm, you know, we're working with different pieces. So to create something that's a little bit more broad, that's a little bit more connected, like um, dealing a lot with sound and, you know, the magical sounds and magical letters was something I got from my new age teachers, but trying to figure out how that fits into witchcraft or, um, really kind of progressing deeper with some of the astrological magic. But today, a lot of people go back to a lot of the older grimoires and the older kind of traditional Greek astrology or medieval astrology. And I think those things are really interesting, but I'm not living in ancient Greece or medieval Europe. So, you know, when people study this era, you know, 100, 200, 500 years from now, 
what are the things they're going to be looking at? So rather than have us in this time, just looking back to the past, um, I'm really about synthesizing things for the present and the future. Um, and that's a community effort. So it's not just me doing it, but it's a lot of folks in the Temple of Witchcraft co-creating rituals with me and, and symbolism and us doing, you know, quote, advanced classes and seeing what people get out of them and, and letting their feedback kind of shape, you know, where's our community going? Sure. And I, I think it's a really hard ball rolling down a hill. Yeah, that's a great way to put it too. <laughs> it's like, where do we fit in, especially our particular generation? Because we're like the in-betweeners. Like, I mean, I can remember one of my first books was like Scott Cunningham. Right. And, draw, right. and Drawing Down the Moon and Spiral Dance. Yep, those are the classics, yeah. Yeah, and then boom, you know, Ray Buckland was huge. Right. Yeah, we're on that cusp of where it really started opening up, you know, in a way that the generation before us, it hadn't. Um, but we're also sort of one foot in the traditional world because we still had yeah. more in-person community and, and mentors and people that we knew. And um, I think currently, you know, a lot of folks that I talk about and I teach a lot online now, and it's funny to think of how many witches I talk to who don't know another witch in the flesh. And yeah. I've never been to a gathering or, or practiced with anybody or, you know, and I, I think it's great that they have the access to it, but it's such a different experience. Yeah. And it's, it's so different when you're in contact with others that feel like you do, that understand right. what you do, you know, social media, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing and it's not a blessing at the same time. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you don't know the feeling when you're like with a group that you can breathe. Right. And then when you're on social media, it's all this glam and stuff. And that's just a teeny, teeny part of our world. Our world goes so much deeper than that. It's, it is like, it's so ancient and beautiful. Mm -hmm. That it almost like takes you in. It's almost like breathing. It's breathing when you're like, the maiden, you know, the mother and the crone. Mm. It's very important. And I hope we don't miss out on all of that. I I agree. That's actually where a lot of my head's at too. So <laughs> I, uh, I reference uh, in my teachings and, you know, I think we sometimes have to come up with our own little mythoses and, and ways to get things across. So one of the things I tell a lot of the people studied with me is uh, we live in the the age of the great blessing and the great curse. Mm. And they're like, oh, what do you mean by that? And I was like, well, in the age of the great blessing, never before have we had access to all this information, poetry, mythology, language, science, ritual, all these things that we can use in our magic and our spiritual quest. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, you know, but we're also, what's the great curse? I was like, in the age of the great curse, never before have we had access to all these teachings, science, mythology, blessings, language for our mm -hmm. rituals. So we sometimes have so much, we lose context, you know, and I think that's, that's a danger of our age. And I've been talking about that for a long time. So I think we have to sort of make our meaning and make our context and really be diligent to um, not throw out things that might not be flattering to us in the moment, because we might yeah. be throwing out something important. Oh, exactly. I agree with that 100%. So what is your next project, Christopher? <laughs> I've got a couple things in the works. So I have a couple books that are um, 
out of print through my uh, second publisher, Llewellyn. So I've mm-hmm. got the rights back to them. So they're going to come back in print in the next year. Oh. So those are The Mystic Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of my book that's about, um, if you don't know anything about any of this, if you walked into a metaphysical store and said, you know, I don't know what this is about, please explain it to me. It's sort of a book to explain just kind of basic concepts to anyone. Um, and, and whether you, you know, identify as pagan and witch, whether you identify as new age, whether you identify as um, just kind of a seeker, if you're an open-minded Christian, open-minded, any mainstream religion, it's a good book just to kind of ground yourself in some of these ideas. Right. Um, and then I have a, another book that's coming back into print called Sons of the Goddess, um, which was originally a book for, um, I, I was asked to write for young men in the world. Um, and it sort of became um, less about young men and just about men in general. But uh, uh-huh. I'm excited to have that back into print. And then for my new ones, um, I have uh, three books that are, are in production right now or hopefully will be out in 24, 25, um, staggered out. One is called um, Sabbatic Visions. And it sort of takes the the folklore and the iconic uh, icons and imagery um, of Christian versions of the Sabbaths and the seasons Mm. and starts to excavate, well, what is pagan or magical about that? And I know we sometimes talk about how like uh, Christian traditions have stolen pagan holiday ideas. Sure. um, People argue whether that's true or not, but I think there's a certain truth to it. But um, this is my attempt to steal them back. (laughs) So what are, what are the magical ideas? I'm I'm in agreement. you know, maybe have been added to it, you know, and, and how can witches work with it? So it actually was a series of classes that when we were in the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I ended up, you know, I wasn't doing Sabbaths locally in person. So I started doing deeper meditations on the Sabbaths online and I wasn't touring. So I sort of offered each of the um, shops that I would normally go to them, like, let's do an online event together and try to get folks to, you know, be aware of your website and maybe order some things for me to keep you going during the pandemic. And it was a chance to bring community together. Um, So I did these eight Sabbaths and I sort of based them on things like um, Midsummer's was um, the Feast of St. John and Lamas was the Assumption of Mary and um, Samhain was, you know, All Hallows Eve and All Hallows Day. Um, Yuletide, it was on... um, the Epiphany and the Three Wise Men. Imbolc was the only one that wasn't super pagan. Imbolc, I went back to um, Lupercalia and kind mm-hmm. of the Ro- kind of the Roman origins of St. Valentine's Day, I guess. Um, Astara was obviously Easter. Beltane was um, a mix of May Day and Walpurgisnock. Um, yeah. And so looking at all of those, I tried to do really kind of deeply mystical, philosophical visions for each one that people could participate in and, and give all the folklore to it and why I thought it was important for witches to give it another look and, and think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another book on alchemy and cauldrons and the goddess called The Goddess and the Cauldron. Ooh, I um, like that. And it looks at the stages of the Caridwin story as stages of initiation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets into some herbalism and some homeopathy and some uh, alchemy for that. And um, then starts to get into like all the cauldron myths and, and how you can work with the internal cauldrons. Um, and then the last one I have coming out, which I'm really excited about, I just actually got back from my editor today. So I'm going to be doing the, the changes for that soon, very possibly over the, the holiday winter break, um, mm-hmm. is called The Witch's Soul. <gasps> and it's a two volume, incredibly long and thorough book, um, which I know, you know, no mainstream publisher would publish it. So I'm very happy I have my own publishing company to yeah. put it up because I wouldn't want to edit it uh, down to something that's more commercial. It's a two volume set on the model of the three souls. 
and how the souls work together um, and other models like the Egyptians and the the Greeks and the Romans and um, really exploring consciousness. The three souls are the three souls are the Egyptians, the. Yes. So the Egyptians have, depending on what dynasty and what time period you're talking about, they have three souls that can sort of be seven to nine souls. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at that model. Um, we're going to kind of look at just the the basics. I, I do a lot of things through alchemy. Um, so I sort of look at it as the sulfur, sure. salt, and mercury of consciousness. Um, but we'll talk about some Norse stuff. We'll talk about some Haitian voodoo. We'll talk about um, some Celtic stuff and just compare and contrast what do people think about the soul and consciousness and as a modern witch, what do I think about it? Or what have I experienced? Right. And, and based all the exercises on those. So how do you feel about hoodoo and voodoo? Um, I think, you know, if there's one tradition that is more misunderstood or more maligned than witchcraft, it's probably voodoo. I agree. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, I often, I, I try to emphasize that with my students who maybe don't realize that. Um, I have a, a great love and have learned a lot from both Haitian and New Orleans voodoo in terms of their spiritual technology. Yeah. So I'm not a practitioner of it. Um, but I like hearing about how things work and I've, I'm in a very privileged position that a lot of people share things with me in detail that maybe you can't find in books, you know, so I, I get to hear about certain things and, um, I've had great and really profound experiences down in New Orleans, uh, so much so that we bring, uh, folks from our temple down there to do, um, spiritual retreats and try to get different practitioners in the Mm -hmm. area to show us things and teach us things. But even before we had the temple, I used to go down there quite often and had some, some spiritual experiences. Isn't it amazing there? Yeah. It's been, been spectacular. Mm -hmm. It's It's one of my favorite places spiritually. Yeah. Me too. I didn't expect that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect it. Like when I was there and it hit me like a sledgehammer, I was like, I love New Orleans. (laughs) I have no idea why. In my ancestry on my dad's side is Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Orleans. Hmm. But I just didn't expect that deep connection that I had with all of it. Yeah, there's something profoundly magical. There's a consciousness to the city, and I think it it calls to a lot of magical people. Yeah, it and it's so small. Like, it's just a small speck in Louisiana, but there's just something. It's so open and so unique and so almost ancient in a in a way that I can't describe. Yep. Yeah, that, there's a sacredness to it. Yeah, I was like, totally respect the spiritual spaces that I was in, in the and mystery. It's such, a, such an interesting mix of that very vital Catholicism and that very yeah. vital, magical, initiatory stuff that's going there. Yeah. It, it's almost when you walk down the street at 3 a.m., there's this mystical side to it that I cannot explain to people. It's smelly. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Like walking down New Orleans and after the bars close, it's gross. But there's that, that energy and that, I don't know. I I can't describe it. Hmm. It's just very different. And I feel that way about New England in a lot of ways also. Yeah, different, but definitely its own sacredness. I I definitely agree with that. Yeah, like... I love traveling, but I think I'd always have to live somewhere in New England for me. Mm. It's beautiful there. My mom is from my mom is from New York State, and I still don't know how she met my dad. <laughs> we ended up <laughs> together, and how he moved to New York State. But it's so funny. When I was a little girl, I went to Salem, and and it's such a funny story. I loved it right away, and I told my mom where the cemetery was, and she's like, 
uh, that figures. <laughs> That's all she can say. She goes, that figures. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, there's that mystical just places, I guess, speckled in each country that you just grow to love and adore. Yeah. I think particularly for us in America, you know, New England has such a long standing history in, in, cultures and stories that we can understand. Yeah. Um, I think it just evokes something, you know, oh, whether, exactly. whether it's good stories or bad stories, you know, it, it definitely just invokes a, a magic and a mystique for it. That's so funny when people ask me where I want to live and I tell them they go, it's cold there. And I'm like, it's cold <laughs> here. Like <laughs> Indiana is not my dream place, but it, it's right. not bad. It's just not me. You know, yeah. you're yeah, like, absolutely. it's like, I'm just here to work. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Each each place has its own rhythm, and I think it does. Um, finding the rhythm. One of the interesting things about my geometry apprenticeship is they talk about how the latitude also plays into like the rhythm of the sun. And uh, if there's a place that you like, it's interesting. Follow the latitude line and see what other places are on that latitude because you might have the same yeah. same rhythm to it. So we were learning how um, our area of southern New Hampshire. You know, you think uh, not I'm slightly geographically challenged, I guess I would think looking on a map, New England isn't that far from England. But when you actually look mm-hmm. on a map, we're much lower latitude um, and our latitude is parallel to northern Spain, which shocked me. But there's mm-hmm. right on the same roughly the same latitude is the Camino um, yeah. and some really sacred churches that are about kind of transformation and healing and release. So my teacher was just like, oh, this latitude is all about transformation. And I was like, oh, he's like, you chose the perfect place for a witchcraft temple. And I was like, well, thank you. You know, just <laughs> where we ended up, you know, but it's, it was interesting to find that that so much of it has to do with like the the tides of the sun and the moon and how yeah. things rise and set and everything. You know? And I think the ocean plays a big part in that energy, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, I love where we're at because we're about an hour from the ocean. We're about mm-hmm. an hour from the mountains. We're about an hour from a major city. You know, if we wanted to drive or take a train, it's about a four-hour drive to New York City. It's about a four-and-a-half, five-hour drive to Montreal. Ooh, you know, I like love we've Montreal. Got, we've, got, we've got all the wonderful things around us fairly close by. We've got, you know, suburb, city, and country. You yeah. know, all with an easy driving distance. So I, I do love this space. And how far are you from Boston? Like an hour? Yeah, a little bit less than an hour. I think um, just kind of driving through maybe about 45, 50 minutes. So I used to work in Boston when I – my first – pre-witchcraft job was uh, working in Cambridge, just over the river from Boston yeah. and, and uh, driving every day. So it wasn't far at all. You worked in a music studio, correct? I did. I worked in a music studio turned record label, turned artist management company. And I, at various times, worked for all parts of it. But uh, Were you I was ever mostly home? in the record label. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of long hours. Yeah, but I was, <sighs> I was just dating my partner, Steve, at that time. Um, so uh-huh. I made the excuses to go home a lot because he was not in the rocker world. So I'd be like, I'm punching out now if we don't have a show. <laughs> ah, let me tell you, the love of my life is a musician and they're never home, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why when he retired, I was like, yeah. <laughs> now he works for like Sweetwater Music. That's why we're here. And you know how that is. So he's like in the industry, but he is no longer playing. Yep. You know, I, I deeply empathize with that. I was playing all through college. 
and a little bit after college and uh, had a spectacular band breakup, you know, very Spinal Tap moment. Um, and then <laughs> I love uh, it. Ended, up in, ended up in the industry side of it, which was nice because, you know, our, our ethos of the company at the time was trying to protect the artists from oh, sure. predatory publishing and predatory record labels and things like that. I don't think we always succeeded, but that was our, our intention or our hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to be on that side of it. And it was a little less grueling than having to tour. I booked a lot of the tours, but I didn't necessarily have to be on the tours, which was nice. You know what the nicest part is when you finally retire? Yes. <laughs> is that a couple years where you don't have to play New Year's Eve? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, is I didn't have to dance like uh, after that long period of time, like uh, three years into it, I sat down one day and I was like, oh, I don't have to entertain people. And you don't have to play for people. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy not to be carrying speakers and amplifiers and all that. That's my oh, I was like, yeah, I, heavy I work. love the performance. I hated lifting the things. You know, we we never got to the level of success where we had a you know, huge roadie crew. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I remember all of the guys of the band, you know, they were done in the 90s. It was two. It wasn't midnight. It was like two to three a.m. Yep. And you got home at four. And it was not only you were done playing, but you had to load up the car in zero degrees weather Yep, and, and then, then go to work drive the next however, day. Drive however far home and then go to work the next day. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember those days. Yes. <laughs> when people get off at midnight from playing, I just look at them like cream puff. Oh. <laughs> and that's mean, but I'm like, really? You get to go home? You're done? It's 12. What? what? <laughs> See, it wasn't as bad for us around here because around here, most of the bars closed at one. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. So we, we get out at one. Yeah. But often like the bars are also more spread out. So like if we were playing someplace, it was usually a good hour and a half, two hours from where oh. we were to where home was. Oh, know? that's so evil. We still, we still got home <laughs> at three. You know? That's evil. <laughs> then you have to get up and go to work like at seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me at the time of school, but yeah, it was still bad. <laughs> uh, you know what? You were a blessing, Christopher. And I am so glad you came on here. It was such a pleasure talking with you. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Please keep in touch. And when you have an event, please let me know. I'd love to come. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. You have a good night, Christopher. And thank you for coming on Twilight Tonic. You too. Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be.